This is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast. Today's topic is going to be how self-love, or to put it to put it more simply, selfishness 
is the root of the seven deadly sins. But first a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus in the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. To anybody who's practicing true Catholic uh, spirituality and they're they're doing it uh, they're they're being serious about it are gonna come across in in the writings of the saints the writings of the church fathers and doctors of the church um and if you've taken my advice and listened to Father Bernard Utley, uh, which, by the way, his uh, Spiritual Life series I put in one of my previous show notes, uh, if you intend on uh, attempting the Spiritual Life, I cannot recommend this series enough, will come across the concept of needing the the need to advance in the spiritual life of dying to your will and uniting your will to that of the Lord Jesus. Now, part of this is or I'm sorry, one of the key concepts, and this is this is in the book of Saint, uh, the Gospel according to Saint Matthew, where John the Baptist, I, I believe this was either in the Gospel according to Saint Matthew or it might have been the Gospel according to Saint John, but it is recorded that Saint John the Baptist was saying, "I must decrease so that he must increase." Like anything biblical, this 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 is layered. This has a layered meaning, and it's very rich, not just in the theological realm, but also in the spiritual realm. What Saint John the Baptist is saying is, just on the surface level. Because he knew, you know, Jesus Christ was his uh, cousin. And and he knew, because he had received singular graces from God, that he was to prepare, his, his ministry was to prepare the way for his cousin. He knew that eventually, that obviously, that Lord Jesus is God incarnate and by necessity was going to have to that that he that uh Lord Jesus's ministry was going to take over and overshadow his ministry his job was to prep the way Lord Jesus's uh 
ministry was obviously to take over and um, finish what was started. So on a surface level, when he said, I must decrease so that he may increase, he was just saying, you know, eventually, um, Lord Jesus is going to take over and I am going to be overshadowed. Just on, and when I when I say on a surface level, I'm just talking about on a natural level. On a spiritual level, what he was also saying is, if we, as true Catholics, are serious about uniting our will with Lord Jesus' will, then our will must decrease so that his will may increase. Now to some of you who may listen to this, you may say, well, no duh. No duh. I mean, yeah, you know, that's that's the whole purpose of the spiritual life. And it is. However, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is making the intellectual um, ascension, or not ascension, um, the, the intellectual recognizing, recognizing the truth in that intellectually and putting it into practice in, in actual day-to-day life is two different things. When I began on my spiritual life, I had a dim understanding that I was going to have to die in the spiritual realm, of course, to my self-will. And however, making that recognizing that fact and actually putting it into practice is is at least I'm going to speak for myself for me has been one of the most difficult things that I that I'm attempting right now now some people are going to say well how um, what does this have to do with selfishness or self-will having to do with the seven deadly sins? I'm going to be getting into that later in this episode. But for right now, I wanted to prep the ground for, you know, for the topic itself and say that um, there's a reason that the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church taught in the spiritual life that we must unite our will with God's will. There, there is a uh, there is a reason, and as you grow in the spiritual life, and as you get your your will becomes more and more united with God's will. Um, you you begin to 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 gain more holy wisdom 
and you understand how these things work together. Now, I'm going to move on to the next, well, to the actual topic of this episode, which is the seven deadly sins. Now, on the top of the seven deadly sins is pride. And because I'm not... I'm not a theologian. I do not know if the seven deadly sins are listed in the order of their um, seriousness. But at least it appears to me that um that pride would be as i said it's it's on the top of the list pride would be the the top uh the, the most deadly of the seven deadly sins and Anybody who has a a special devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary knows that her main uh, cardinal virtue that she was mirroring for her, for her um, devotees was humility. And it wasn't just her. Lord Jesus also was known for his humility. Now, pride, the root of pride, when, 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 when you do the sin of pride, and like I said, going back to the topic, all these things are the, from the root of selfishness. So I just want to give some practical examples of this. Um, so, selfishness, when, when you're being selfish and you're committing the sin of pride, I'm going to give you some examples. Let's say if you're married and you have a fight with your wife and you either refuse to forgive her or you refuse to um well let's leave it at that if you refuse to forgive her if you think she's wrong without giving deeper thought that maybe she might have a point that's pride um that the root of that is selfishness, obviously. If you take pride in your looks, your your money, your status, um, 
Any anything that you take pride in that's a per, that it, that personally is in your life, this is also selfishness because it's not giving God the proper uh, respect and honor due to Him because you're not acknowledging yourself that everything that you have, everything that you are, is a gift from God Himself. You had nothing to do with it. Even your own personal, um, for lack of a better term, your, 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 your personal um, strengths. You know, these, these were not due to you. These are actually due to God granting them to you. And when you take credit for that, you're taking honor away from God because you're not acknowledging the source of your strengths. You're not acknowledging the source of your blessings. And to close out with pride, the, I, I believe the reason why pride tops the list of the seven deadly sins because it was pride that not just Satan refused to serve God, but anyone who's who's um, familiar with Catholic teaching knows that it wasn't just Satan that pride infected. He took one-third of the angels in heaven with him when he revolted against God. And their sin was pride. Because... They were refusing to honor their sovereign. They were saying, hey, God, go pound sand. I'm not doing this. And then St. Michael, the angels, and Mother Mary had to take out the trash, as it were. The next on the list of the seven deadly sins is covetousness. And covetousness just means that once again, every all the all the seven deadly sins, their root is selfishness. So if you have extra money and you're not giving it to your um your parish priest, maybe a, a monastery or a, co a convent, if you're not donating it to a charity, which you know is um, a reputable charity, or, and it doesn't even have to do with the... Um, If it doesn't necessarily even need to do with your material uh, things that you've been blessed with. It can go down to um, being selfish about the um, uh, spiritual blessings that you've been given. If I'm um, trying to think of a good spiritual blessing let's just say 
that you're really good or that, that, that God has blessed you with a really good knowledge in, oh, I don't know, maybe history. And when I say history, I'm, I'm, I'm more or less talking about the history of the church. Although, if, if you have a really good knowledge of secular history, that could be the same thing. But you're just re, you know, you're, you're, you're keeping that knowledge to yourself and you're not passing down this knowledge, which may not even be necessarily, um, known and given the state of education these days there's a lot of things that I can honestly say that in in when I was coming up that were taken for granted that a lot of the younger generation and I'm not picking on them there's a lot of people my generation and some boomers that are unaware of too but you're keeping it to yourself and you're not sharing the knowledge the root of that is selfishness. In other words, covetousness is to keep the blessings that God has given to you to yourself for your own selfish purposes. I realize, guys, that um, I'm not the most articulate of people. Uh, you're just going to have to bear with me. This is one of the crosses I have to bear. Um, the next on the list is lust. Now, obviously, well, I'm not even going to say it's obvious. A lot of people aren't aware that the purpose, the purpose of sexual relationships is meant between a husband and a wife not for sexual gratification, although God did give us, make it enjoyable, but um, the, the, the purpose of sexual gratification is for the marital state and to um, have children with. And if you are um I'm going to call it self abuse cuz I'm going to try to keep it churched up here if you're indulging in self abuse if you're indulging in the mar- um in in uh fornication or premarital sex if you are um if you're married and if you're in the married state and you're um, looking at other women, and, and you're even allowing the thought that, oh wow, this 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 woman, or for that matter, if you're a, uh, a wife and you're looking at another guy and you're saying, oh man, that guy's hot, then you are abusing the gifts that, the gifts and the graces that God has given to you. Because just like this, I, th- I think this, that because of the era we live in, that this message has been practically annihilated in day-to-day existence, that just like if you're trying to unite yourself with God, 
when you marry another woman, you or another man, obviously, um, you're uniting yourself with them. That is why in the pre-Vatican II church, divorce was considered um, a, a, uh, not just a deadly sin, but a revolt against God. Because regardless, because, you know, I'm divorced myself. However, I got divorced before I became Catholic. You come to realize that, oh, I, I married somebody who, you know, is a real burden upon me and I need to get out of this marriage. Well, that, that is the ultimate act of selfishness because even if you marry somebody who turns out to be abusive, who turns out to be a real jerk, the reason why, at least pre, in the pre-Vatican II church, the divorce was rarely granted was that... um. And, and to put it in simple terms, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Let no man separate. So, um, so, this, um, to stay with somebody, and like I said, and unless they were doing something, um, hideous, you know, obviously molestation, you know, um, you would have to leave that situation because that's, that's just, a hideous atrocity. But let's just say your spouse cheats on you. Even in the case of adultery, in pre-Vatican II Catholicism, you're, you, you, you could separate, but the intent was for you or your spouse to reconcile and to fix your relationship back up, even in the cases of adultery. So, when, when we do not follow God's law in the case of marriage or the sexual act, you know, um, which includes no birth control. Like I said, in the pre-Vatican II church, the primary, uh, the primary goal of the sexual act within marriage was the procreation of children. And the spiritual and the um, secular instruction 
destruction of your children so that they would become uh, pious and devout Catholics. The next on the list is anger. Um, and I'm going to make a disclaimer for, for this episode because I forgot to at the beginning. Everything I'm talking about, obviously, because I'm not a saint, I'm guilty in one degree or the other of everything that I'm talking about. So this is, this is not me shaking a finger in your face and telling you what a horrible person you are. The purpose of this episode is to try to get you to see how when we indulge in any of the seven deadly sins, we're actually not, this separates us from uniting our will with God's. But in the case of anger, And it, you know, oh, and one other thing I need to to comment on is with the seven deadly sins, just like with human beings, there are gradations and variations within them. In other words, if somebody makes you angry and you swallow your anger, but you plan on getting revenge on them. You don't say anything to them, but within your own mind, you're like, oh, I'm going to get this person back one way or the other. I'm going to get this person back and I'm going to make them pay for what they did. That's still, that's still anger. Even if you didn't yell at them, even if you didn't physically punch them in the face, that's still anger. Because obviously anyone who's read the Gospels know that Jesus was used and abused by the Jews, uh, the Jewish religious authorities when they were trying to get him crucified. And because Jesus is God Almighty, he could have called down every angel from heaven and just smoked his, his persecutors. And... Anyone who's read traditional Catholic teachings on the Holy Week knows he went through some horrendous tortures and disrespect and abuse. From just from a human perspective, justice justice would have been served if he had called down his angels to smoke his tormentors, but he didn't. And part of that was to give us the perfect example of of taking abuse and disrespect and following his perfect example. But like I said, um, when when you allow your anger to show, and like I said, there are different, like with any of the deadly sins, there are different variations, gradations. So your anger can show, in the most extreme example, you can punch them in the face. In a less extreme example, you can get mad and you can cuss them out. 
Uh, you can insult and revile them for um, making you angry, or you can swallow your anger, but still harbor thoughts of revenge. Um, or um, you could refuse to speak with the person that offended you or made you angry. This is all selfishness. And I want to stress this because even people who should know better, and when I say this, I'm talking about actual said vacantists, um, we get it twisted and we think that, well, this person made us mad and I didn't yell at him and I didn't uh, punch him in the face. And I want to make this absolutely clear. If we say this and in the natural sense, they would have actually deserved to be punched in the face. They would have actually deserved to be uh, insulted or yelled at. You're still wrong, even if they deserve it. And I refer you back to the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Jewish religious authorities and the, uh, the crowds in Judea at the time that reviled him, and when I say reviled, I'm just talking about insulted him and you know disrespected him, he would have been well within his rights to smoke them right on the spot, but he didn't. So part of, part of not being selfish, part of you uniting ourselves to our Lord and Savior's will is following his example, even though on a natural level, this may cause us a great deal of pain and suffering. And as far as the deadly sin of anger goes, when you are tempted to retaliate against somebody, and for the sake of this discussion, I'm going to say rightfully so, to remember what it said in the Psalms, which is, Vengeance is mine, says, says the Lord. In other words, we are not God's avenging angels on earth. Quite frankly, if you even have a uh, dim understanding of the nature of God, you will realize that nothing that you do on earth will ever punish the person as badly as anything that God himself can't do to them. And I would refer people to what I talked about, the nature of hell. The person who sins against us, who does not repent, is going to literally spend eternity in hell. So nothing we say or do on earth is ever going to be as bad as eternity in hell. And it would behoove us to remember that. 
The next deadly sin is gluttony. Um, once again, this is selfishness. Food obviously is given to keep us going. Um, in some cases, or I, I, I'm sorry, not in some cases. In most cases, it's meant you you need to eat. <laughs> Starving to death is a real thing. Now, obviously, anyone who's read the saints know that there are certain saints who the only thing that they ever had as far as physical sustenance was the Eucharist. And they didn't, you know, they might have had a little water, but as far as actual food goes, the only thing that, that kept them going was the Eucharist. But as I never get tired of saying, the saints are the elite of the elite of human beings on earth. Most people, I, I would say 99%, 99.8% of human beings need some sort of food to keep going. Now, if we overeat, not only are we abusing the gift of God, which is food, but, and try to follow me on this thought, we are also selfishly using that gift that could be given to people who may actually be hungry. So if we overeat, Let's just say you go to a restaurant. Well, the money you spent overeating could have been used to give to a charity that feeds the hungry. Um, if you overeat, or for that matter, overdrink, and I'm thinking particularly about alcohol because drunkenness is a part of gluttony. Now, alcohol obviously is a gift from God, you know, and this is why in certain Protestant sects, when they, when they say, oh, well, you can't have alcohol at all, um, I, I, it, it, not only does it go against common sense, but it just goes against God's divine law. Everything from God is a gift that is meant to be used for his greater glory. So alcohol in and of itself, and you know, I used to point out when I was a Protestant, and for those who are uninitiated, I'm former Protestant and former Vatican II sect member, but um, when I would talk to other Protestants and they would say, oh, you shouldn't drink alcohol. It's evil and it's vile. And I would tell them about how in the epistle to Timothy, St. Paul, and by the way, you have to understand that Timothy was an actual priest of God. And St. Paul advises him. He says, well, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Now, there's not just that. There's also the quote where St. Paul says, 
and I'm probably massacring the quote, but he he says, you know, if you drink, don't get drunk. So in other words, he's, you know, St. Paul himself, the the hero of a certain segment of Protestants, you know, and the irony is, is some people quote him up and down, but disregard some of his own, some of the quotes. <laughs> if you're a Protestant, you're one of these people that thinks that alcohol is vile and evil. Well, you're disregarding what he taught because he didn't say you couldn't drink. He said, don't abuse it and get drunk. And so, and this is why Protestantism is a heresy is because the fullness of God's truth is inside of the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church. And when the Protestants decided that, well, you know, um, Screw, screw the uh, the Catholic Church. We know better, and we're going to do our own thing. They were basically saying, "Hey, God, go pound sand. We know better. We know better." And by the way, when I say this, I'm not talking about Protestants of goodwill of today. I'm talking about the founders of Protestantism: Calvin, Knox, Luther. Henry VIII, because at that time, there was only Catholicism. So when they told the Catholic Church, hey, go pound sand, they they knew better. They, They knew better. Protestants of today, we're we're talking, what, 500 years in the future. There's a lot of water under the bridge, and there's a lot of ignorant people who who don't know all the facts. But I'm talking about the actual founders of Protestantism. Anyway, this is not this is not about the heirs of Protestantism. This is just about the seven deadly sins and how selfishness is the root. Envy is the sixth deadly sin. And to anyone who follows the political political uh, situation, a lot of quote-unquote conservatives or red-pilled, based in red-pilled conservatives, they, they sit there... And they accuse the the progressives and the communists of being of of suffering from envy, which is true. You know, in a general way, it's true. But even even people who consider themselves conservatives are guilty of envy. You know. The bottom line for envy is if you're looking at a guy like Bill Gates. And the thought even crosses your mind. Well, well, I'm, no, I'm not even going to take that extreme example. 
if if you're making enough to pay your bills, take care of your family, but your basic attitude is is well, I want more. The reason why envy is selfishness is because you are not content with the gifts and graces that God has given to you. Not only are you not content, you lack gratitude. Because, and I'm sure a lot of people have never heard this example. Me personally, I actually grew up, people used to say this, you're not content with what you have. You're not content. And that is selfishness at its very base. Not being, first of all, not being grateful for what you've been given. But secondly, um, not being content with the things you've been given. Wanting more. And obviously anyone who's striving for a different, or I'm sorry, a more close relationship with our Lord and Savior knows that um that he that he um he gave us the perfect example, the perfect attitude on how we are our relationship is supposed to go, which is that we, A, recognize that everything we've been given is a gift from God. Secondly, that we're thankful and grateful that we've been given these gifts. And thirdly, that we're not only satisfied with what we've been given, but that we attempt in so far as possible to share those gifts and blessings that we have been given by him. Now, some of you who are a little more natural-minded may say, well, uh, our Lord and Savior was God. He didn't need anything to survive. And I would, I would point out to them that when our Lord Jesus Christ lived on earth, he did not give us an example that was impossible to fulfill. In and of itself, he did not give us an example that was impossible to fulfill. So, if the thought did cross your mind that, well, Jesus was God, uh, I can't, I can't do that, that you would need to hit the writings of the uh, pre-Vatican II Council's Catholic saints and the writings of the saints, the doctors of the church, and the spiritual writings. God does not command the impossible of us, and he would not set an impossible example to follow. And then the last thing, or the last deadly sin, is sloth. Sloth is just a churched-up word for laziness. And... Laziness is not doing the things 
that we know we should do because of personal motivations. Well, I'm tired. Well, um, I have a large family. Um, Basically, to use natural circumstances as an excuse not to do the things that we should be doing. So, I hope and I pray that I've made this understandable and that you get something out of this. Now, in closing, I want to wrap up with this closing thought. The bottom line of... of uniting our will with God's will is to be, is to ask for help in losing our own selfish and self-centered desires and And it's not just our desires, it's our thoughts too. And it's our, it's conforming our minds to God's mind. St. Paul himself said, we do not conform our minds to the world, but to the, to the, to the mind of God. Once again, I'm massacring the quote, but it's, it's, in, it's in one of his epistles, it's there. So, one thing I do kind of want to circle back to, too, uh, when I talk about the married state, part of the purpose of marriage is, is just like if you're single and you choose a religious vocation, there's a reason why nuns are called the brides of Christ because they're taking Lord Jesus as their as their spouse. Now, some people were not called to that. But just like, and by the way, it's not just nuns who become brides of Christ. When you unite your will to that, of our Lord Jesus Christ, you're uniting your will with him. So just like when you do that, even if you're not called the religious vocation, when you take on a spouse, you know, male or female, what you are called to do, and this is a mutual thing, it's not, it's not an either-or proposition, at least not in the um, true Catholic sense of the term. Both spouses are to sacrifice for each other for the greater good, not just of the other spouse, but if they have children for their children, for their family. 
And to do anything outside of that, to go with your own selfish will, is to betray the vow that you took when you got married. It's really that simple. So, to wrap up here, when the spiritual writers, the saints, the doctors, and fathers of the church say, we must die to ourselves. What they're saying is, we must die to our selfish and self-centered desires. In, in, in the case of people who are called to the single life, to God Almighty and the heavenly kingdom, but even those who are called to the married life, not just to God and the heavenly kingdom, but to their spouse and their families. We we are to die to our selfish, our our, our selfishness, our self-centeredness. So I don't want to belabor this point. I think I've covered it pretty well. Once again, I hope and pray that you guys got something out of this. I really do. And um, I really appreciate you listening, even if you don't agree. I appreciate you listening. I do care about everyone insofar as I'm a failed, flawed, sinful individual. And I do pray for everyone. And by the way, you can take everything I'm saying for what it's worth. And I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. So thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Maternitas to